Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Inside the Coach's Office. My name is Tom Murphy Jr., and I'm here as always with Coach Brian Barnes. And today we got a great episode. Um, today's focus is going to be about leadership and what a great person to talk to about leadership, Coach Michael Masucci. Coach, welcome to the show. And I could run your background, people can Google it, but what better way than for you to just start off our show by explaining? um what you've done what you're doing and um what what we are going to talk about today you know on terms of leadership so show or so coach welcome to the show and um yeah if you could just run a quick background of of what it is you're you're all about thanks tom and and glad to be inside the coach's office with coach barnes and and you i'm excited to have this conversation I could just give you a short version if, if you allow me just to introduce myself. I uh, um, was a 20-year varsity basketball coach right here in Royal Oak at Royal Oak Shrine Catholic and Royal Oak High School. Really had some extraordinary players and great mentors along the way. Uh, right towards the end of my career, I, I met uh, uh, really a giant of a man, both figuratively and literally, a guy by the name of Tim McCormick, a former NBA player, um, seven feet tall. He's just a, a real charismatic guy and a, and a really great guy. He asked me to join with him in starting a Michigan Elite 25, which is a camp for uh, high-end basketball players. And I was in charge uh, of the education and leadership component. And that was really the beginning of uh, my turn from basketball coach to leadership uh, developer. Uh, from that and through those experiences and through my coaching experiences and great mentors, um, I was able to write a, a leadership fable. Uh, and from that, I started my AEO leadership LLC. And since then, since around 2014, I've been working with schools and now some organizations around the concept of leadership and leadership development. But, you know, one of the, the things that really excited me about joining you guys is that uh, I was uh, raised by football coaches. You know, my grandfather was a Hall of Fame football coach. Uh, my father was uh, a football coach and uh, played at the University of Iowa. When he was a senior, uh, Iowa was ranked number one in the nation, and he was recruited to play out of Detroit uh, here to Iowa. So that tells you how good he was. That'd be like getting recruited to Alabama or something. Yeah. So uh, he was a coach. My grandfather was a coach. So I grew up with football coaches, met a lot of them, admired uh, football coaches. So it's just a joy to, to be with you guys and, and your football community here. Absolutely. So coach, um, I like as part of this intro, can you kind of explain how you, you went from coaching to being an author? Yeah, absolutely. So I've always been a reader, always been somebody asked a lot of questions and, uh, you know, when through my coaching, uh, I really started to ask questions like, why am I in this? And really try to clarify uh, a mission statement. And so 
when I was at Shrine, I really had three words that I um, really were the cornerstones of, of my program, faith, team, and competition. I, I felt like if, if we were a team that believed in, you know, obviously at, that, at, at school, God uh, believed in each other, and that was where faith, and we, we were a team, we made each other better, believed in each other, and then, you know, we competed every day. I think those were the three legs of our stool at Shrine. And when I went over to Royal Oak, I still crystallized that mission and came up with three words, uh, attitude, excellence, and others. We were a team that had you know, an incredible attitude, an attitude of gratitude, appreciated the little things uh, that were rising tides in each other's lives. We'd have a, a good chance at success if we were committed to excellence, and meaning we're just doing a little bit more than everybody else, that we were better today than we were yesterday. Uh, then we'd have a chance at success. And, and then, of course, being young men for others, uh, being really great teammates, uh, being great friends, being great sons, uh, being great students, uh, then we'd have a chance of really building something special the places we go. So when we started crystallizing that mission, um, that's when my, I started really reading more and reading what other coaches were doing, reading leadership fables, uh, and then it was truly, again, I'll go back to Tim McCormick, who, um, who looked at me one day and said, hey, Mike, I think there's a book in you. And uh, let's, you know, let's, uh, let's figure out what we can do together. So uh, a lot of the, my first book was uh, a lot of Tim's work. You know, Tim works, uh, you know, with the NBA. Uh, he works with the Detroit Pistons. He, you know, works with uh, the University of Michigan. He He's really a, a five star out there, just you know, in the leadership world. And so I picked up a lot from him. He wrote a book. You know, Jim Rohn has this great quote, which I say a lot. He said, "You know, you are the average of your five closest friends." And when when Tim came into my life, it was a rising tide. You know, here's an author, a presenter, somebody who does things at a different level, and he inspired me to do that as well. Um, so here, you know, I meet him, you know, in 2010 when his son was playing at Notre Dame prep and I was his coach at Shrine. You know, I uh, um, saw him at the airport one time and, you know, I think he was traveling to go speak to a team and I was traveling somewhere and I was reading a book and he said, I want to read that book. And I said, well, I'll take notes on it and send it to you. And then that began a dialogue about leadership and uh, so, you know, how did I go from coach to uh, author to, to um, leadership developer? I, it was through, it's a long journey of, of intent, but also packing the right people uh, into my life. Coach, um, glad you have you on here. You know, like Tom said, um, Tom, we've been so lucky with the people we've had on this podcast. Yeah. You know, we've had great coaches talking about scheme. Uh, we've had some great media members. Um, we had some fans talk about the high school football playoff system, but this is just an honor uh, to talk to coach. I've been a fan of his from afar, obviously over the years and fired up that you're here. And uh, you know, my question, you, you just mentioned you're, you're a leadership developer um, and you know, leadership is so important and it's not just on sports teams, right? It's so important in, in schools, um, businesses, 
society, uh, you know, from a government perspective, just, just all of that stuff. So when you're talking about developing people, um, what are, you know, take us through that process if you could, like what's, what's kind of your starting point? Um, do you notice certain leadership qualities and people already that you're trying to bring out more? Um, if you could just kind of talk to us, like what your, your basic plan would be to, to bring out leadership in others. Yeah. So that's a great question, coach. And, and something that, you know, let me just kind of walk it back a little bit and then start from, from a different platform. So when you talk about leadership, uh, leadership is a skill. It's not like, you know, when you were born, the doctor raised you up and looked at you and said, here is a leader. You know, that, that doesn't happen. Uh, leadership is a skill much like, you know, uh, throwing a, a football is a skill. And so it's teachable and it's also a choice. So if coaches select or players select a captain, um, they're selecting or appointing a position. They're really not selecting or appointing a leader. Uh, and leadership is not a position. Just like when an athletic director hires a coach, they're hiring a coach, they're not hiring a leader. The leadership has to be chosen by that person. Uh, so if you're um, selecting a leader, or excuse me, a captain, that captain says, I want to lead. And then once you say that, once it's a choice, then that's the place to start, that they got to own that leadership. And so what we do is we go through a lot of different things. I did, a, uh, in fact, with uh, the coach at Novi, we did some leadership interviews um, for their captains this uh, past season. I did some leadership training uh, in the, uh, at Brother Rice in their basketball program uh, this year, uh, and, and then also in the Royal Oak Schools uh, in Livonia. And what we do, we, we do different things at different parts, but we start really with a five-point model. And it's a right around the acronym of elite. So if you think about what elite is, elite is being your very, very best. My, my first book's titled An Elite Journey. So how can we be our best in the places that we go? So we start with that. And so with the E in elite is education. And not so much like what grades you're getting, but the Latin root of education is educare, educere, which means to draw out. So how can we draw out your best self? And the very, very first place we look to is goal setting, uh, to having a, a vision for your highest self. And we start to have, and we start to have these leaders write goals. It's a real shame that a young person can go through 12 years of schooling and never be taught about how to set goals. I, it, and then they go to college, it's not even mentioned. So we talk about how do you set goals? What does a leader uh, how does a leader set the tone for the people that are in his charge? Uh, we also, from there, talk about how do we hold each other accountable for those goals? And we're teaching skills about relationship. The L in uh, elite stands for leadership, and that's the choice that you make. So once, you, once we're going to draw out your best, you choose the lead. The I in elite stands for integrity, meaning your 
integrated. There's no gap between what you say and what you do. The last thing that you want to be as a leader is a phony. If you are a captain and you choose the lead, there comes some responsibility. And so we talk about what does it mean to be integrated between what you say and what you do. And that's why it's a, it's a beautiful thing to have your goals not only stated, but written down. Uh, so it, it could be right at your bedside table. And so every day you get up, you look at those goals, you say to yourself, I'm gonna lead, and now you're integrated, you're gonna do those things that you've written down. The T in elite stands for team. That means we're gonna surround ourselves with great people. And then we're gonna look at the people that are on our team, in our charge, and how are we gonna develop them? How are we gonna be a rising tide to them? And the last E and elite that we discuss is excellence. Like, how are we gonna be better today than we were yesterday? How are we gonna be better this drill than we were last drill? And what does excellence mean? And so we, we start with that five point model and we really break it down. Um, and we'd have, we'd have to have a longer broadcast to, or podcast to go through all of those, but that's kind of the, the five point model that we look to coach at how do we build leaders coach that that's that was fantastic you know you know tom what stuck out to me that he said was how you talk about uh you know not just kids adults as well you know they have to choose to lead right yeah. and so i think sometimes people are hesitant you know they're worried about um stepping out of their lane or stepping on somebody's toes or they just they just aren't confident in themselves but ultimately it's like, like anything, right. It's, it's their choice, you know, to be successful or it's your, it's their choice uh, to take on that role. And, um, and a lot of times I think it takes some guts to be a leader, right. Yeah. Because a lot of the eyes are on you um, if things don't go right. And so you have to be willing to, you know, fight through those fears and um, take on that challenge. So I think that's, that's really neat how you said that people have to choose to lead. It's a, it's a daily choice. It's also, <clears throat> it's also an art. You know, I remember, Many years ago, one of the, one of the people, even though I was a basketball coach that I admired uh, greatly, uh, being in the Detroit Catholic League, was Coach Al Fercasa. And I remember being at a, a, a meeting. It was kind of a, a leadership meeting in the Detroit Catholic League, and I was I was sitting between two uh, pretty respectful, respected high school coaches. To the right was Coach Fercasa, and to the left. Uh, I won't, I won't say who the other guy was, but um, we were sitting there and I was talking to the guy on, on the left and all he was talking about was his program, what he does, what, you know, his philosophy, his thing. And I, I looked to my right and coach Fercasa looks at me and he says, he says, Hey, Michael, uh, congratulations on your win last night. And, uh, you know, I've always wanted to get to know you. I knew your grandfather. I knew your, your dad. And um, I really respect what you're doing at Shrine. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing. So like, like he was, he got me, he grabbed me. And I'm like, mm -hmm. that's what leaders do. Like when leaders walk into a room, like they point to you and they say, you know, come this way where some leaders, like some people who think they're leaders point to themselves, say, look at me. Leaders say, look at you, and, and they have a, this ability to, ride, to lift you up, you know, and, and so I always remembered that it was such a, an early lesson on what made him great. It was his humility and his ability to have genuine interest in 
other people. You know, one thing that we talk about with our young leaders and, and even when I go into organizations is, is how we think, our mindset, our brain. And our, just like if you walk into a room uh, and the lights are off and because your motion, the lights go on in a motion censored room, that's how our brains work with curiosity. So leaders have to be alive with questions and curiosity. You know, waking up with, I, I believe we're at our best self in our imagination. Like, what would my best self look like today? Um, what do I need to eat? You know, who do I need to talk to? What does my body language need to look like? And then asking questions like, what does my team need from me today? Who, who really needs my leadership today? Who needs my encouragement today? Uh, who needs me to hold them accountable today? Who haven't I connected with today? If you're not as a leader being reflective in those questions, you're gonna miss opportunities uh, to really uh, encourage people. And there's an old saying that, you know, if you wanna know who needs encouragement on your team, check to see if they're breathing. If they're breathing, they need encouragement. So as a leader, you can be an encourager. That means to provide courage for them. And, and as you know, Coach Barnes, you, you need courage every day. Like you said, it takes guts to be out there performing. So, uh, Coach Masucci, um, you said earlier, you know, leaders aren't born. They don't come out the womb and, you know, they're, they're held up as leaders. But I wonder, especially in your coaching experience, how do you handle a kid who might be a freshman or a sophomore or you know, even maybe a junior who's not as good as like some of the more talented players, or if he's a freshman or sophomore, he is that good and he's playing on a varsity level, but you already see these signs of leadership on, on the high school athletic level. How do you handle a, a kid who has those leadership qualities, but maybe some of the older kids aren't going to respond to him because he's just not as good or he's younger. Well, that's, that's a great question. And that's part of he know, or she, team, sorry, team chemistry. Sports, yeah. yeah. Team chemistry. Yeah. That's part of team chemistry. And, and it's also, you know, there has never been a coach in the history of athletics, as far as I know, that has said, we have too many leaders. Like that's not a problem, but what so happens sometimes is uh, people get territorial based on either their, uh, their age, their position, their seniority in an organization or a team. And so that's really incumbent upon the coach, the athletic director to create a climate where everybody can flourish, but also to create a climate where, um, where players understand the concept of delayed gratification, where, you know, things don't always come early because you want it. You know, it, it sometimes it takes it takes, uh, it takes time. If you, the great organizations function like a, uh, a redwood forest, you know, where the, those are the tallest, strongest trees in the history of this world and their root systems are intertwined. You know, they, 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 are, uh, they, they cross one another. And that's what freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors have to do. They have to form a, that, that root system that intertwines with one another to create the roots for a strong tree. If you just have roots going straight up, you know, you're going to have trouble in a windstorm, you know, so we got to create that good root system by intertwining that team chemistry. 
Well, and, and like you mentioned earlier, and um, you know, the, the big word right there, the big term is team, right? You know, ideally yeah. you're not going to have uh, older players um, or in, a, in an organization, you're not going to have any of your, your higher ups feel threatened uh, by somebody else who wants to help and provide some leadership. Cause ultimately at the end of the day, uh, we're all in this together, right? right? Whether it's a business or a team or a school or whatnot. And so, in my opinion, like that's where the most growth occurs is when everybody recognizes like you got to be on the same page um, and you're all slim in the same way. That's when I think um, growth occurs and everybody's best comes out. So um, I think that's definitely a challenge, though. Yeah, Tom, you you, you know, you asked really an insightful question there. And I it I try to tackle that head on in, in my first uh, book where the main character is a rising star. Uh, he has big aspirations. Uh, so does one of his teammates. Uh, but there are some seniors uh, on the team that feel threatened uh, about, you know, his, you know, his rising fame, so to speak. And so how that team handles that uh, is really critical to their ultimate success. What the coach does, the mistakes that coach makes, um, the uh, um the accommodations that he makes because of those mistakes, the modifications he makes, and how that team ultimately comes together is part of that elite journey. Uh, that's not a natural instinct for people to give up influence. Uh, so it has to be taught. It has to be um, fostered. It has to be like inspired. That's part of your culture. That's who we are. Yes. Yeah. Go so, ahead, Coach Barnes. Yeah, thanks. So. You know, a few years ago, Connor Cook was the quarterback at Michigan State uh, when they won the Rose Bowl um, for Mark D'Antonio. And I remember he was criticized for being the quarterback and not being elected a captain. And that doesn't necessarily mean he was a poor leader. But, you know, some people kind of question, like, does he respect him or do, do his teammates respect him? Do they look to him as a leader? That sort of thing. In your opinion, your, you know, your top two or three players in a sport they might not have to be the leader of the team, but do you think they have to have some leadership qualities in order for the team to be successful? Absolutely. You know, and, and that's the, the one thing about leadership and we'll go back to um, maybe the beginning is it's a choice. So you don't have to be a captain in order to be a leader. So, and I, I'm not familiar with, with that story at Michigan state, but I can speak to, you know, a, a lot of times with, if a team elects uh, or selects their own captains, how do the other seniors or juniors respond if they weren't selected? You know, that's like a, a big defining moment for your team. And so leadership, again, is a choice. Now, of course, you need followers, but followers sometimes have opportunities to lead. So to, to kind of answer your, your question, uh, directly, Brian, it's, it's, it's an ongoing process. Uh, it might not be a reflection of, of poor leadership, but I serve on a lot of committees, a lot of hiring uh, committees. And one of the things that we always look for are those shining star leaders. And it's also how you reframe your story. You know, it's, it's a story that you were captain of your team, but it's also a story that you weren't selected captain, but you chose to lead anyways. You didn't hang your head. You didn't slouch your shoulders. You, you know, you were one of the, the key leaders of the team because of your energy, your enthusiasm, your example, your encouragement, 
um, your ability to hold your teammates accountable, uh, all of those things that coaches look for in uh, their athletes. That's a great story too. Coach Masucci, can you explain the difference? Um, just growing up in, in sports, um, for me, I know that like the term, you got um, someone who leads by example, and then you got a vocal leader. Sometimes it, they can be both in the same, but sometimes they're very different. Like, cause you got like a, you know, like for me, like, like a Calvin Johnson or a Barry Sanders, right? Those guys were leaders by example, they weren't out in the media they weren't, they weren't super rah-rah guys, but then you got other guys who get real fired up and like, you know, leading the halftime locker room speech and stuff like that. But it, do you think both of those should be one in the same, or is there a real place for, for both of those types of leaders? That's a, that's a really great question. Again, man, you do, you do your work. <laughs> that's good. Well, I, I think I'm going to answer it in two ways. One is, you know, you have to be yourself. You know, you have, you cannot mimic somebody else. I think one of the biggest mistakes coaches make is when they try to carbon copy somebody else. You know, the, the, the ancient Romans uh, believed that we all had a genius inside of us, a Jingari, a spirit. And to live that spirit out is your genius. So that we're all geniuses. Over time, that word was, I think, misplaced. It became an outcome, like Michelangelo sculpted uh, this statue, he's a, it's beautiful, he's a genius. Or Da Vinci painted this painting, it's beautiful, he's a genius. Or Shakespeare wrote this poem, it's unbelievable, he's a genius. It became an output instead of a process. And so leaders are basically people who are living their genius, their, their unique self. So you have to be yourself. So with respect to, you know, are, are you more introverted or extroverted? You got to be your own genius. Um, as much as I idolized Coach Fercasa, I couldn't be Coach Fercasa. You know, I'd be a second rate version of Coach Fercasa. I have to, he was a genius. I have to be my own Jingari, my own spirit. Having said that, though, our personality becomes our personal reality. Let me say that again. Our personality becomes our personal reality. So we need to, as leaders, to expand our personality, to increase our personality, to improve our personal reality. We can't just settle with, oh, I'm just quiet, or I'm just not that. That's, that's a very fixed mindset. We can all grow in our personality. Uh, you can become more enthusiastic. You can become more energetic. You can um, hold people more accountable. Like you can grow as a leader. I think we stifle ourselves by just saying, well, that's just not me. Well, that's, that's maybe not what your team needs. So if you're the leader and you're accountable, maybe you have to grow your personality to change your personal reality. So so I'm gonna answer that in two lanes. Yes, you have to be your own genius, your own Jingari, and, and follow your spirit. 
but also you have to grow as a leader and, a, and as a personality um, to find out what you really, uh, what your team needs. Again, remember our brain is our best when we're asking questions. So, so your question was, you know, is it by example or is it by like charisma? Well, it, the better question might be, what does your team need, right? What does your team need? And then you as a leader provide that. So coach, are you saying that if Barry Sanders was more vocal, the Lions would have won a Super Bowl? <laughs> I'm not saying that because I'm a huge Barry Sanders <laughs> fan and I don't know the intricacies of, uh, of what he went through. Um, so I will, I would not say that, uh, he was, he was, uh, I love watching him. Um, but, uh, I think there are, are, are people that, uh, get paid a lot more money than, than all of us that can have opinions on that. But I will, uh, I will just say I'm a Barry Sanders mm -hmm. fan, but I'm oh, saying yeah. as leaders, we, we need to really reflect and say, what does our team need? One person that I, I really admired uh growing up my, my idol was isaiah thomas yeah. i mean here you have this smiling um <laughs> happy uh just joyful guard um but when his team needed him to hold them accountable he certainly did uh and one of my my coaching idols was chuck daly and you talk about the mastermind of of uh putting egos together and listening to his players um, making adjustments and, and just, uh, being such a, a great coach, uh, for a team that didn't really have, I mean, they had all-stars, but they didn't, you know, they didn't have Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They didn't have like the, uh, the top five players in the NBA or, you know, they, they had a true team that Chuck Daly weaved together. And sometimes he was really tough. Sometimes he was a better listener. Uh, sometimes he swallowed his ego a little bit. So that sometimes, you know, if, if leadership's a true choice, again, let's say, what does my team need? And uh, Chuck Daly provided it. So did Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars as a different type. of leader. Yeah, Tom, you, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to hop on that question too, because over the last couple of years, I've actually heard coaches say that, you know, leading by example is almost um, cowardly, so to speak, right? If, if you really want to be a leader and stand out, um, you know, you don't have to be a rah-rah guy all the time or girl all the time, but you need to be vocal when it's time to be vocal and hold each other uh, accountable, right, when it needs to happen. And so I would never say to a player, hey, you're a coward or anything like that, but, but I definitely find myself challenging kids to um, kind of like what Coach mentioned earlier, like find out who they are almost right. And, and recognize that like you, you can probably be a little more of a leader than you think you are. You know, why don't, why don't you do me a favor? How about you get the linemen together in the morning? So I don't have to bug you guys to do it. Right. Yeah. And little things like that. And so, um, I try to look at it that way, challenge, challenge the kids that are quieter than say, Hey, like you, you're more than you think you are. Um, and, and, don't, and you, I, you know. I agree with that. I didn't mean to cut you <laughs> off. I, I think that it's incumbent upon a coach to remember leadership's a skill to grow leadership and leadership is, uh, is both. So one thing I, I'm a big believer in is body language. You know, 55% of how we communicate is body language. So if you're a leader, you better have your chin up, your shoulders back and, and you know, uh, steel rod, you know, and, and you're looking eye contact at what your coach is saying and you're all in, you're nodding your head and you're, you're, 
that's 55% that's screaming, I'm a leader. Then 38% of that is, is your tone of voice. Like you better have a captain's voice. Uh, you better be able to, to command that huddle or talk to that team or talk to your, um, you know, your position uh, players. So what, what a coach could do is, is, you know, let's say that they're, they have a, a captain who, who tends to lead by example, great young man, uh, the always early, great body language, but maybe weak on the voice, maybe, maybe challenge them and say, you know, Hey, today, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to, uh, you know, to start our practice, you know, like I want you to, to um, say a few encouraging words uh, before we start, like give him those little layups that he can make so that he can start growing his leader's voice. Uh, and remember it's a skill. So it's going to get better over time. Maybe start small uh, uh, to go larger and uh, give them opportunities. Now they're not going to be able to give a new Rockney speech right away, but you know, they'll be able to give some encouraging words or, you know, maybe to, to say to this young man, Hey, you know, I noticed that Jimmy didn't have a great practice. I'd really appreciate you following up with a text uh, after practice today and just tell him how important he is to us because I'm going to do that. And it'd mean more if it came from you. So now he's like, oh, I do have impact. I can be an encourager. And so he does that. And and you start smaller with things that are, are uh, you know, within his uh, within his reach. So I, I, I look at it. Sorry, Tom, the, I, I want to, um, you know, the body language thing again, that you mentioned is, is so, is so critical to me and, and um, you know, not just my program, but wa watching other programs and that, you know, the two things that I, I look for when I kind of thinking to myself, all right, that's a well-coached team and they've got it going on is are the kids palms up players, meaning there's a bad call or, or something didn't go their way. And they're, they're raising their palms up. Like what, what I do. Right. There's questionable foul or there's questionable foul call or something like that. You know, what what I do. And then the other one is, is are they walking? Right. Are they hustling off the floor during the timeout? Are they uh, hustling from drill to drill? Um, things of that nature. And so to me, um, like you said, coach, body language is like you. You can have an idea of somebody who's a confident player who don't who doesn't get rattled. And it's the same thing with the coach. Right. Our coach is constantly on the officials. Our coach is constantly questioning calls or barking at their assistant coaches that to me uh says a lot about uh type of leader that they are i agree mm -hmm. i agree and you know i'm i'm a big listener of uh words i i just i i really intend on 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 speeches and on you know essays that i read and try to pull out words well you know 10 years ago if you wanted to uh know what college coaches were looking for in players one of the words that I heard the most was character. You know, obviously they want the talent for the level they coach, but character was a word you heard a lot. The word I hear a lot more is motor. Like I want a kid with a motor and you hear that in football coaches, you hear that in basketball coaches. And, and so that kind of speaks to what you were talking about, coach. It's just a motor. Like when it's on, you're on and, and your failure recovery rate is instant. You know, you're on to the next play. And uh, that's not only a sign of a well-coached team, but that's a sign of a recruitable athlete. You know, if, if you have a slow failure recovery rate or you don't have a high motor, it's going to be hard for you to play at the, at the next level. Yeah. So now, I tell, uh, I tell my, sorry, Tom, I tell my kids all the time, right? Like, Hey, uh, so, somebody's always watching you, right? Yeah. Regardless of the sport, somebody's always watching you. Are you getting back on defense 
when you when you miss a layup or you, or you got knocked to the ground, you thought you got fouled and you didn't like hustle back. People are always watching you. It's 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 incredible. Um, you know how often I still think I don't know how many coaches instill that in kids that like people are always watching you. Yeah, yeah. And, and the film doesn't lie. You know, one of my favorite stories about coaching attitude was from Coach K when in the 1990s, he, he coached a, uh, a player by the name of Bobby Hurley, a great point guard. I mean, a great point guard uh, and a winner. And he was very exasperated by uh, Bobby's body language and his, his failure recovery, his inability for next play. So you know what he did? He, he got Bobby and he uh, sat him down and he showed him the film of his body language and how he pouts when there's a rough, you know, uh, a bad call and, and coach Hurley, or Bobby Hurley looks, he goes, I do that. Yeah. Like, like that's me. And he's like, yeah. Like, so the film doesn't lie. You know, if you want to teach somebody about, Hey, look at your, look why you fumbled, but you could also say, look how slow you are in your failure recovery. Like you got to do better. Now coach Hurley's a great coach in, in college at Arizona state. I mean, his dad was a coach. I mean, he would have learned through this, but coach K instinctively, you know, instead of keeping battling this, he showed them like, this is, this is where we can improve. So those, that's a leadership moment. Nick, that really leads to what I want to ask. I want to ask both you coaches, um, how you, how do you as the, the main leader of the team handle a kid who is the student athlete leader of the team who's having a bad day? So he, he might be in his own head, who knows what he's got going on in his personal life. And he's, he's just going through the motions. And it means every other kid is also probably going to go through the motions because like kids tend to follow their captain. So if the captain's having a bad practice, the whole practice might be bad. How do you as coaches get past that because kids even the captains even the leader even the kid you know he, he might be a you know tough as teflon almost every day but today is just not his day and you, you and you're starting to see the whole team kind of catch that vibe how do you as a head coach correct that or get through that well that's, go, yeah sorry for both of you guys so <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll I'll start. And then I'd like to hear what Brian has to say. You know, my, if you would ask that question 10 years ago, I would have said quite clearly that there's, there's three people, three people that can't afford to have a bad practice, the head coach, the captains and the best player that you can, those three cannot have bad practices um you know fast forward to to you know now i would you know we we live in a, a world where there's a lot of you know mental health issues and a lot of different stuff going on with adults and uh young people in particular so i think we have to uh have high standards and high empathy and i don't think you they have to be mutually exclusive. I think the expectation is there's no bad practices, but the reality is we're human. And the first thing that we're going to do is uh, we're going to, we're going to connect with them and ask why. And so, uh, and again, think about failure recovery, but 
you know, we don't we don't want to uh, dismiss uh, if something's serious going on. Um, and I'm not talking about your girlfriend breaking up with you. I'm talking about something deeper than that. I'd like to hear what Coach Barnes has to say on that. Yeah, Coach, that's 100% on point. Um, one of the things we've tried to focus on, and and uh, we, we you know we currently have a pretty good group of juniors um, that we've had since freshmen. And I think if I had to you know diagnose where they were as freshmen, I would say it's pretty immature. Uh, you're right. A lot of ups and downs and, and things of that nature where things are going great. They were in great moods and um, things were good. But when things weren't going great, they were, you know, chirping and going back to what I was saying, palms up players and questioning the officials and things like that. And so one of the things we keep stressing over the years and we'll continue to do so is just having that neutral mindset. Um, like coach was saying, next play mentality. And so regardless of the situation, um, move on to the next play. And that's not always easy. Um, because for whatever reason, you know, kids, um, a lot of times they hang on to, you know, what just happened and, you know, the sport where I think that happens the most where you need to have that mindset is baseball or softball, right? Because, you know, talk about how those athletes, you know, you don't want to take a poor at bat to the field with you because then you're going to struggle out there if the ball's hit to you. And so, um, you know, having that neutral mindset, if you have a turnover, you know, we get it, our quarterback throws an interception. He actually did a great job throughout the years of, of maturing and letting that go and not letting it affect them defensively. Um, and that's to me, a sign of uh, a really good leader and coach, like you said, you know, you're right. Not every practice is going to be perfect. And there's a lot of reasons for that, right? When it comes down to it, we're still dealing with uh, teenage kids um, right. and especially the last few years and what, what we've all been dealing with, but especially them and um, a traumatic uh, event with COVID and whatnot. And, and we don't all know what is there. And so, for me, though, I look at it like this in practice. When, when, when they're down uh, or if we're coming at, off of a loss, um, the, there's probably some things that definitely need to be corrected and fixed and you can be upset about as a coach. But you, you know, you have a sense when your team is pretty down and, and they don't want to be there and they're struggling, not, not chirpy or angry, but they're just down. In my opinion, that's not the time to, to go hard on them and chew them out or, or bust their butt and things like that. That's the time to go back to your basics and your fundamentals and be the teacher that you are and, and go back to that a little bit and build their confidence throughout the week. So they're ready to go on Friday. And then I believe the opposite is true, right? When they're feeling really good and high and coming off a big win, like it's time, like, you know, the world's telling you you're great and everybody around just telling you you're great and stuff like that. Like we got to make sure they stay focused and we try to humble our guys really quick and put them in a situation where it's going to be difficult uh, for them to be successful. And so it, <laughs> I think Tom, like, I mean, we're, we're coaches and, and we're teachers, but you know, every day it's like, we're, you know, psychologically working with kids and everybody's different. Um, you know, and you got to push the right buttons to make sure they, um, you know, respond the way you want to. And I think that happens over time, uh, you know, and, and it happens when you build a relationship with a kid that just isn't about football or basketball or whatever the sport is. It's, it's, they, build uh, or you build their trust by getting to know them as a human being um, and showing them that you care for them, you know, academically uh, in their spiritual life and, and all of the off field stuff as well. And that's how you're able to have those um, type of relationships. And then um, conversely, right. You're able to carry that onto the field and be able to practice the way you do. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a, an old saying, don't, don't bring your suitcases to the field, meaning leave your baggage uh, uh, on the sideline. You know, you don't want to be carrying your suitcases to practice. 
Uh, but you know, if you do need to talk to someone, hopefully you, there is some kind of vehicle for that, that kind of exchange. Uh, so well said, uh, Coach Barnes. So Coach Masucci, um, how have you seen, I don't know, like kids change, like teenagers are going to be teenagers. Teenagers were teenagers big, big in the day. They've all, you know, but when you think about practice and coaching hard and you think about back in like the fifties or something, and you, you read about like, you know, like, like a Paul bear Bryant or something, you know, like, like if, if you jump off sides, you don't get water the whole day during this Alabama tour day, you know, like nowadays things have changed so dramatically. Is it hard now to find leaders? Like, are these kids just soft or is society just different or like, and, and how do coaches have to adapt from the old Bobby Knight style, you know, or something to what the, what it is today to, to coach kids? Yeah, that's a, that's a hard question. I think, I think that every generation has an instinct that the previous generation is softer than they are. You know, like I'm sure the greatest generation was looking at, you know, the, uh, the 60s and 70s saying, what is with this generation? I mean, their hair, and their, you know, their lack of discipline, and, you know, their you know, lack of devotion to our country. And, and so I think that now these, you know, these baby boomers are probably now looking at this generation or, or maybe that, you know, the, the kids now saying, what is with these kids? So I, I think a lot of that is, is overplayed. Um, just as a, a sense of perspective and, and maybe their generation looking at themselves a little better than the, the, than the, the newer generation. But I do think there is some, some realness to that, meaning coaching is, you know, the great coaches are bridge builders. They, are, uh, they can take people to places they couldn't go on their own. So they have to figure out and adapt what's the best way to do that with the players that they have. And so obviously, you know, coaching like Bear Bryant or, uh, you know, Tom Landry or Vince Lombardi um, might not be the best way to get to, you know, these kids. But I also feel like you're cheating your team if you're not demanding. If you're not demanding a lot from them, you're cheating them. Like no player that you ever coach will come back 20 years later and say, coach, thank you for being easy on me. Like I really appreciated you, you know, coaching soft. Like that won't happen. What would happen is, you know, them coming back saying, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for seeing something in me that I didn't see myself. Thank you for demanding more of me than I expected uh, at that time. And so the, the question is, how do you do that? And I think, you know, the masterful ones are the ones that have done it over time. You know, that have reached multiple generations. You think in basketball, like your coach K, who's, who's now in his, you know, 13th final four from this first one was in the 1980s, you know, five different decades. Like, how does he reach kids from five different decades because he's adapting his style but not his substance not his principles he's he, he's just as demanding but his delivery is different 
Uh, he's more contemporary. And I think that that is where uh, there's a fine line. Coaching is a science and an art. And you have to find, you know, what's your team, again, asking questions, what does my team need? There's really no place to, to demean a kid, to, to um, you know, to break them down, to build them up. I think that's an uh, antiquated model. Uh, it's more of inspiring and, and bringing out and, and being hard, but, uh, but doing it in a way that is, uh, you know, you just, uh, you, you, you inspire more than you break down. I think that uh, we, can, we can, you know, be rising tides, you know, that lift all boats. And it's, it's, a, it's a delicate battle. And, and kids uh, have got to want to be coached. You know, I mean, that's, that's the other thing, too. It's like, uh, you know, excellence isn't easy. You know, it's not a, it's not a natural um, decision. It's not something like our brain, you know, is, is an incredible, you know, organism where it's like it's tilted to be negative. You know, like we have 60 to 70 thousand thoughts a day and most of them are negative so as a coach we want to build that uh brain uh we want to build a better brain to tilt positive and how do you do that sometimes you gotta you gotta be tough you gotta you know you gotta inspire you gotta encourage but you also gotta be demanding uh like you can get past this uh and that's what really a growth mindset is all about so if you're building a growth mindset in your athletes they're going to want the the hard. They're going to want the, um, the difficult. They're not going to say, I have to do this. They're going to say, I get to do this. That takes time. A lot of times people want a microwave solution where really it's a crock pot solution where it's going to take some time to, to work. Uh, and that's where delayed gratification comes in. Uh, that's when a, long, a long-term relationship building comes in. Uh, and that's why today coaching is so tough uh, so that's a long-winded response to your uh your your question uh to make be more succinct no i don't think kids are softer today i think kids are smarter than they ever have been before i think they're more distracted than they ever have been before uh so uh it's important for coaches to to channel uh, their you know their players best version of themselves their genius and uh, really teach them uh, how to be great uh, in the times that they live. Remember that elite journey. How do we become the best in the time that we have? And that's what the coach should ask all the time. That's what the coaches were asking in the 1950s, 1960s, 70s, 80s, and all the way into the 21st century. Yeah. Now, Coach Barnes, on that same topic, so you were, uh, you know, you were a player, and, and then you were kind of a young player, you got into coaching pretty young. Um, so how, how have you handled this situation of even from like when, when you were playing and seeing how, how you were coached and then coming up through the years, how, how have you changed your philosophy or your coaching standards or however you want to put it into leading kids into this, this new era of, I just detect there's so much technology out there that like there's there's so many like like coach Masucci said so many distractions now how how have you changed your coaching style to adapt to what's going on today yeah I'm glad coach brought that up 
the the distraction angle. I mean, coaches have been dealing with distractions forever, right? Where it used to be, you know, when we were younger, um, it was the beach, right? And nowadays, uh, the distractions are, are social media, uh, video games, um, uh, things of that nature, where you can get that gratification and you can feel good without, without actually putting in the work, right? Cause coach mentioned playing a sport and being excellent is difficult. And so uh, my belief, you know, thinking about it is, you know, how, how can we make our sport enjoyable enough to where the kids aren't want, they can still do that stuff, but they recognize that there's a time for it and there's a time to, um, you know, really get after it in that said sport. And so we try to stress things like we talked about, you know, we don't talk about championships. We, we talk about being a champion, right? Whenever I talk to kids in my building that I'm trying to get to play football, you know, I don't tell a kid, you know what, Hey, you're six, five. Uh, I need you to come catch touchdown passes or, Hey, you're a great athlete. I need you out here. Every time I tell them, I say, you know why you think you should play football? It's because I think you'll have fun. And I think you're going to have a good time doing it and you're going to make a lot of memories doing it. And so, in my, you know, five years coaching at Bishop Foley, I think one of the things we've done really well is get kids out who maybe didn't think they were football players because we focus on that. And then the other point is, um, you know, the way I've become or I've evolved as a coach, and I guess I never really thought about it, but um, I think I coach the way I wanted to be coached when I was in high school and the guys that I played for were, were great guys and, and great people that I look up to. And, um, I cherish my time, but I think about maybe what I needed as a 16, 17 year old kid then, and kind of what coach talked about, like, you know, you know, if you ask anybody on my staff or any of my coaching buddies, um, like, like I don't enjoy talking about myself, but one of the things I think I do well has nothing to do with our X's and O's or schemes or whatnot. It's, I think I do a great job inspiring our kids to be ready to go on Friday night and have a great experience playing football. So that ultimately is how I coach. And, and like I said, um, you know, and I agree with coach. I don't know if kids are softer necessarily. Um, there's just so much more going on uh, in the world. And so, you know, kids don't want to stand outside when it's 95 degrees all padded up if they're not having fun and enjoying it. And so I focus on the things that, um, you know, at the end of the day, they're still teenage kids, right? They're not, they're not playing for a Super Bowl. They're not playing for a college national championship. They're not on TV every Saturday. So I want the overall experience, you know, as an athlete, um, as a human being, as a student to be outstanding playing football for me. And there's nothing wrong with a coach who feels like they just can't reach their kids anymore. You know, like I've, um, I'm, uh, work for an organization called uh, um, HumanX. I work with them. and I'm doing a, a, a great project for them. Uh, and maybe you guys in the football world can help me out. One of the projects I'm doing is I'm uh, um, talking to 50 of the greatest coaches in Michigan, um, multiple state championship coaches, but, but not necessarily exclusively or, or have to be, but exemplars who have done it over a long period of time, trying to get coaches from the basketball world, football world, baseball, softball, field hockey, soccer, you know, all of the, all of the sports. And uh, then uh, HumanX uh, uh, will take them and um, ask them a lot of questions about what makes them so successful. And then try to, to take a look at those um, numbers and find common denominators and, and then help 
you know, uh, schools and organizations hire smarter, better coaches. You know, I think it's a, it's a great project. And then I'm going to maybe write about it, um, maybe, you know, do some presentations about it. Uh, but, you know, one coach I talked to said, you know, I don't know if I'd be good for this study because I just, I'm not the guy to lead the next generation. Like I led, I led my generation <laughs> because of the way I did. He was an old school coach and he, he understood it. And he, he, he quit when he, on top, you know, like he, he knew it. So, so what I'm saying is, is we can't like, you can't blame kids. Like these are kids. You can't say, Oh, it's the kids leaders. The first person they look at when they're not getting a job done or they're not finding internal satisfaction or, uh, um, joy from their profession is themselves. Um, and, and so it's easy to say these kids these days when we really should say, what does the team need? Like, and, and that's where you should always start as a leader. What do my, what do my guys need or my team need? Uh, and if you're not it, it's time to pass the baton uh, to your other, to your next self. But, you know, a football example of somebody who's done it over generations is Nick Saban. You could certainly tell the joy that he has more recently and the way that he's changed and adapted and adjusted over time. And so we all have that ability. Remember, our, our personal, our personality is our personal reality. So we can change our personality over time to give our team what they need. You know, coach, you, you mentioned, uh, a few minutes ago, Coach K again, and he's obviously one of the the best, if not the best, you know, college basketball coach of all time. And, uh, you know, going along the lines of coaching style and whatnot, I remember watching a national championship game against uh, Duke against Connecticut, and I want to say it was 1999. And I'm 21 years old, and I remember it came down to a last-second shot in Duke. Um, I think William Avery, I think was the point guard turned the ball over. And I remember in my mind being so frustrated because I enjoyed watching Duke and and when he went over to coach K and I envisioned coach K was just going to give him the business. Right. And in my mind, I was so mad. I was like, Oh, if I was a coach, I've given him the business and you know, you screwed up. You should have kept your eyes up, pass the ball or whatever. And instead he hugged him and the kid was crying on his shoulder. And I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, that is that what an incredible human being that coach K was in that moment right there where he's a competitive person and wanted his win as bad as anybody but he recognized that 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 his player needed him to just hold him right there. And that was a moment that's always stuck with me on, um, you know, what leadership looks like. And so during our conversation, you know, about, um, you know, my, my coaching style and whatnot, that just, that kind of popped into my head and just found it to be really interesting. Yeah. That's a, that's a great image for great coaching like that, that story right there, that actually happened up close to me and another example, uh, my first uh, coaching job, I was a sixth grade history teacher and JV basketball coach at Detroit Country Day um, and assistant coach for the girls team. So and that was right when Shane Battier was there and it was like incredible. Uh, in fact, I had a uh, funny story about Coach K. He was there uh, recruiting uh Shane and he was in coach Keener's office and uh, I was looking for my keys so I was starting practice at four o'clock and I, I didn't have my keys so I ran into coach Keener's office 
And there was Coach K sitting down with Coach Keener and, and then Coach Amaker. And, you know, that was when he was and still is like the top of his profession, you know. I, my eyes just went like big like that. And, and he stood up. He had like a pristine suit on. He had his national championship ring. He had like the West Point shine on his shoe. And I was starstruck. And he shook, he took out his hand. You know, you talk about body language. I mean, his was impeccable. He said, Mike Shashevsky. And I was like so flabbergasted. I said, Mike Masuski. I went from being Italian to Polish like that and just being so, uh, so starstruck. But, um, but I just want to tell a quick story about Coach Keener, and it's very similar. Um, Shane's freshman year, I was on, uh, we were playing Oak Park in the um, uh, state tournament, and uh, it, it was a last possession and very similar to the story you told. The point guard, you know, Kurt drew up a great play. We, we had it, bounced off his knee and went out of bounds, and, and the player kind of fell toward the bench. And Kurt did the same thing. I'm sitting down. And I'm like this, like, oh, no, and Kurt's like this, you know, grabbing the player and hugging him. And I was just like, that's incredible. I mean, he just they just lost a high pressure game. We lost a high pressure game, a huge upset. Um, and that's his first instinct, you know, and and uh, that that was a great example too. the same that you just saw. And they went on and I was there for the next year, but they went on to win three straight state championships. It, but again, it was a crockpot. It was like nurturing. It was the redwood forest. Like it was intertwined roots. It wasn't just, you know, rolling out the balls. It was a lot of relationship. And I'd say the same thing for Coach Orlando on the girls' side. I mean, I had two incredible mentors uh, in in the leadership component. So, Coach Coach Barnes gets at me a lot because I. It's so great that you brought up that story about <laughs> Coach Shevsky because I'm. I'm just a huge sports guy and I do like some of these athletes to me or coaches or some of these people you meet, they just seem larger than life. And you get to meet them and, and you kind of fan out, we call it. And coach bars, he gets to be like, for instance, this weekend, we went to the university of Michigan coaches clinic and, um, I, I did. I kind of started fanning out a little bit. I got to meet coach Harbaugh. I got to meet Denard Robinson. who's was one of my favorite players. And, I don't know. I do. Coach Mars, he tries to be more professional in those situations. For me, like, I'm such a sports fan. That with you, like, obviously, Coach Krzyzewski, um, are there other people that you've met um, that you kind of got starstruck on? And, and as just a, like a sports fan, how do you feel about, like, um, you know, grown men, like, being so in into um, wins and losses of 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 these young athletes, is there a like is there a balance for that? Like, because college sports for sure are always going to be huge on the national level, but then they're just kids, you know. And even some people with with the high school level, when you get um, you know, like LeBron James was a superstar when he was a freshman in high school, you know, and you got grown men like clamoring over the over over these kids but sports is so big. Are you ever going to find a balance with that? And I mean, with that also, are, are there some people you've met other than coach Krzyzewski that you were really like starstruck by? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I was, I was young. I was 22 at the time. Uh, so I think I was a little bit wide eyed and surprised he was in the office. 
I, I don't think, I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of really inspirational people, uh, not only, you know, in the athletic world, but, but outside of that. Um, I think uh, I would probably lean more towards, you know, being professional. I do think the genie's out though on uh, too many adults um, abusing the youth sports system. And it's hard to put that genie back in the bottle if possible. Uh, and it's exasperated in social media. Uh, you know, the, the greatest gift that we can give uh, young people is uh, our example. And we should be very, very balanced and uh, have great perspective when it comes to sports. Um, you, you can get it like there's a, a line between being a fan and being a fanatic. And, and we, we want to be fans uh, because everybody needs cheerleaders in their lives. You want to cheer and you want to, you know, uh, in theos is uh, with God, enthusiasm. You want to have enthusiasm uh, for the people in your life. Uh, and even, you know, your broader circles. Or maybe the I don't mean to cut you off for. real quick, but yeah. I literally have one tattoo and it's Entheos on my right shoulder. Oh, I love it's it. It's so crazy that you brought that up. Yeah. Mm. I got well, it from uh, Joel Olstein with it from his oh, book. Yeah. yeah. No. But yeah. Sorry. I creeped your train of thought. That was too much. I, 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 I'm glad that you tap that shoulder, you get that energy, you get every that, time. That, that enthusiasm. So maybe when you're, we, you feel yourself becoming a fanatic, tap your other arm. <laughs> that, <laughs> that'd be good. Yeah, like you could have that both going on. Uh, but I think that's the line you, you draw. Like, I, I think that, you know, uh, you know, and it is funny because you would see very, very successful people in their business world. And then you would happen to go see them at a sporting event and they're all painted up and they're all like, you know, crazy. So sports does something to people. And I think it can be such a beautiful thing in our society. Uh, you see it uh, a lot in, in, you know, big moments like the Olympics or, and there's so many stories of triumph over adversity. Um, there's so many lessons and losses. Uh, and so our society can really grow through sports uh, as long as we allow those lessons to, to stick. You know, and, and so I, I think, again, we got to remember, be fans, not fanatics. And then in social media, you know, like uh, uh, for the athletes and the coaches is just block out the noise because that's all it is. Just focus on the, on the positive. Amen. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Coach, look, I think we're getting uh, – up against it and I know Brian usually your your uh your favorite question is geared towards football coaches but I but I think you can ask coach Masucci your favorite question yeah I can so coach at the end of each podcast you know we we ask our guests um is there any special tradition so you can think about back when you were coaching um is there a special tradition or something really cool and unique that you did at your time coaching at Shrine or, or Royal Oak High School that uh you think would be interested for our listeners to hear about? Well, that's a, you didn't prep me for that one. <laughs> I um, did not. I mean, I, and I did so, it on purpose. I put you so on one spot. of the things that, um, that I used to love to do uh, was after uh, well, the, the, the most difficult day 
and football coaches don't have to do this, but was, was uh, cuts, you know? So once our, once that day was over, I always, we did it on a, a you know, Monday through Wednesday, we had a, a, a team selection on Wednesday after practice. Then, then uh, we'd have like our first Thursday practice, but then Friday would be our overnight um, practice. And so during that overnight practice, it's like we would do a lot of team building. We'd have a hard, a really hard practice. Then we'd eat, we'd stay in the gym and then we'd have a guest speaker come in to kind of set the, set the season. And, um, you know, then the kids would, uh, you know, then we'd sleep, you know, like they'd bring their sleeping bags and, you know, like they, they, you know, this is our court, you know, like this is, we own this baby, you know? And then, uh, we'd get up and we'd have a, a, a practice, uh, in the morning. And then early in my career, we went on the, like some rope courses and some challenges brought in another speaker. And we did a lot of like adversity training and team building stuff. Uh, over time, more kids started doing that and it became less of a, like a novel thing. So we did some other, uh, team building stuff. So that was like the tradition of like the, the kickoff that we would do, um, where we'd really stay, would be a, like a day and a half together. Um, and then at that time we'd pick captains, we'd set goals together, like all of the things that coaches do, that was our, our moment. So that was like a, a thing that I did throughout, you know, my shrine journey, journey that, you know, because of you know, just policies and different things at, at Royal Oak, we, we just discontinued, but that was something that, and we did it in other ways. We'd go real late and get up early. Like, so we just, but I really loved the overnight practice. That was uh, something um, that, uh, that we, we do. That's awesome coach. So listen, coach, um, can you um, just briefly uh, kind of talk about um, your books, where they can be ordered, um, and then if you want to give out your Twitter handle and just anything people should know that are listening to this podcast and want to find more out about, about yourself and, and, and your books. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. John. I don't have a, a large social media, like footprint, so to speak, but uh, I am on Twitter at, at coach Masucci, uh, M-A-S-S-U-C-C-I. And I will say uh, to your football um audience i love football and you know i've spoken to football teams worked with football teams and uh i certainly would love to um you know either do like a staff development or captain's workshop or anything with any of your audiences uh, i love that stuff i love being around coaches too um you know i i i, uh, I also tell teams this it's like you don't have to be sick to get better I mean you don't have to have a, a a failing program to bring somebody in to talk to your team about how we can get better I think it's an ongoing thing one of my favorite uh, teams to work with uh, was Brighton Hockey uh, their their coach at that time he's since retired was Paul Mogosh and they had just won the state title and so he brings me in because uh, I'm going to work with his team this year, that, that upcoming year, but I'm at his coaching meeting and he like, like a football staff, he's got a staff, you know, he's got his skate coach. He's got his strength coach. He's got his assistant coach. He's got, you know, his trainer, he's got his whole staff. We're at a table 
And he starts by saying, um, you know, I, I brought Mike in um, because we just got to do a better job of really reaching our kids, inspiring our kids and motivating our kids. They had just won the state title. So he is like, uh, like that's the example that I always give about coaches who, you know, you, we don't have to be sick to get better. Let's just where we're at, let's just keep moving forward. And with coaches, like sometimes you don't like giving up that, you know, like I do all the motivation, I do all the character and that's fine too. Like you gotta, you gotta, it's gotta fit your rhythm. But uh, uh, I think coaching now is harder than it's ever been. And uh, just like at someday, like probably in the 1950s, a coach said, you know, it'd be a little easier if we had an athletic trainer. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, then athletic trainers came aboard. And then maybe like in the, you know, 1980s or, you know, later, someone said, you know, it'd be a lot easier if we had a strength and conditioning guy, you know? <laughs> and so like they added that. And so now what I think is coaches are saying, you know, maybe, you know, it'd be a lot easier if we had somebody that would come in and talk about leadership and support the things that we're already doing. And I think that, you know, it's a unique niche. Uh, it takes a visionary. Uh, you know, every great person that ever lived was a little bit ahead of their time. You know, uh, visionary athletic director, Brian Gordon, who was, you know, at Novi brought me in and he said, like, let's do something that nobody's doing. And we started this relationship. And then soon enough, you know, Brighton's like, hey, what are they doing over there? No, he calls me. Then Lavonia say, what are they doing over there at, at, uh, at Brighton or Nova? And then they call me. And then Plymouth, you know, and, and now, you know, Royal, Brian's uh, um, AD now at Royal. Wait, remember what we did at Nova? I want to create that model here. You know, so it takes that kind of visionary um, to say, you know, let's do things that haven't been done before. And let's try to pack as many good people into our players' lives as we possibly can and to our coaches' lives because yeah. it's a tough business. Now, of course, and so that's what I've been doing. And so you could get, you get my books, uh, you know, on Amazon for sure. But I love, you know, I give discounts to schools. And I was just at a school today, delivered it myself, delivered 30 books and gave a talk gave the talk for free, you know, um, but uh, delivered it and uh, gave them a discount. I, I love, especially local schools, you know, um, bringing them to myself, meeting the staff and, and getting to know people. That's awesome. So of course, I, I got one last question for you myself. And then uh, um, after that, anything Brian wants to fi finish up on, but what is the difference between a winning coach who is not a good leader and a losing coach who is a great leader. Is that even possible? Can you well, like, can, can you win and, but still not be a good leader? You just got lucky with, with the right athletes. Or, or, and can you be a losing coach, but a great leader? Is there, does that even exist? So the short answer is probably, you know, like, uh, I think there's a standard of, of excellence that a, a great coach, a master level coach should have um, and never go below uh, no matter what level of talent they have. So 
And, and also, sometimes winning is situational. You know, it's, 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 you, know, you have great players and, and uh, they're going to win, you know, with you or without you. Sometimes that happens. Uh, you know, there's never been a, a high level coach for a long period of time that hasn't had great players, you know, and, or, or, you know, um, but having said that, you know, inspiring people, great coaches can do things to allow winning to happen. Uh, there's a coach from uh, a basketball coach by the name of Steve Hawkins, who was the uh, head coach at Western Michigan. So he was the head basketball coach at Western Michigan for like 19 years. Really good coach. Um, was let go and then got hired at, I believe, North Branch um, High School. So went from a Division I college coach to North Branch. They went 1-20 last year. And then now he got hired at Quincy College to Division II in Illinois. So he went from being 1-20 to landing a Division II job. It wasn't because of its record, but it was because of he's had a demonstrated, you know, career of, of success and, and achievement and development. So, so yes, you can, you can, uh, you can be a, a master educator, a master bridge builder and have a losing record. Uh, it will just be like, would your community allow that to happen for a long period of time yeah. is, is the question that, that the community has to answer. Uh, but certainly, you know, just like uh, a lot of things, sometimes coaching is the eye test. And you can, you can see a great coach, um, you know, the first time you lay eyes on him or her, by the way, and, and Brian, um, you know, alluded to this earlier uh, by some dem uh, uh, demonstrative things that they do, you know, their, their energy, their effort, their eye contact, their resiliency, their, um, you know, all of those things that you see, you're like, man, I'd love to play for that coach, you know, and, and they might not win the game. And then conversely, there might be another coach who, you know, just has a lot of talent. You know, you're like, man, I'd never want to play for that person. So, I think, I think that uh, there's a standard, there's a master level coach. Um, and once they stay above that line, it becomes independent of their talent level. But because they're above that line, they develop talent too. Yeah. And they're, they're, that's one of the things I love about this group that I'm uh, working with, HumanX. Uh, they, can, they can, through their systems and through their... Um, assessments they can measure that like uh the the ceo was a um uh was hired to hire the western michigan football coach a while back yeah. and through his systems he says you got to hire this guy um and then you know the president and the committee is looking like hey we've got the defensive coordinator from the team that just won the national championship on the committee we've got or on that interviewed, we've got guys that have won championships at smaller levels that are interested in this job. And you want us to hire this guy who's an assistant at Tampa Bay, who's never been a coordinator. And the CEO of HumanX says, that's who you want. 
based on all of these identifiable characteristics. He's got a motor, he's a teacher, he's enthused, he'll be incredible. And that was PJ Fleck. They hired wow. PJ Fleck. He's one in 11 his first year, but one in 11, and they have the best recruiting class in Western Michigan history. Roll the boat, baby. The next year, they start winning. He's got the best recruiting class in MAC history. And then you know what happens next. They go to the Sugar Bowl, the undefeated season. Mm -hmm. And so there are identifiable things that um, you, can, you can look for in, in leaders. And that's what I'm so excited about my partnership with, with this group because I'm learning every day too. And, and I'll end with this one quick story. It might go to what you were saying um, earlier about, you know, can you have, you know, can you be a master level coach uh, in, a, in a losing environment, you know? And, 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 and it really doesn't often rub that way because of, of this. I love this story. So PJ Fleck is at a, and I read this in his book. Uh, he's at a coaching convention and uh, he's just got hired by Minnesota. And he says to uh, Coach Alvarez, who was the former coach of Wisconsin, Barry Alvarez, he says, hey, coach, how did you turn it around at Wisconsin? So that tells you, first of all, he's a curious guy, right, PJ? Is. And, and, and Coach Alvarez looked at him, paused, and said, you know, PJ, we finally got rid of all the excuses why we can't win. And that's when we started to turn it around. And that's what coaches have to do. You know, they have to, you know, if they find themselves in a, in a uh, losing environment, let's get rid of all the excuses, number one, because they're not going to help you. And then you start building from there. And, and, and uh, you know, Coach Barnes alluded to this earlier, too, is let's not be results focused. Let's be process focused. Let's, let's you know, let's start small to go big. And, and remember, it's a crock pot. It's not a microwave. Let's, let's, uh, Let's do something. That's a good one. Not a awesome. crackpot. Yeah, it's a crackpot, not a microwave. That's a great. Coach, hey, we we thank you so much for being on here. Uh, we could talk about this stuff all night. Uh, oh, yeah. It's a great topic. You're doing great things. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, for all the listeners, again, our Twitter handle is at Inside the Office. Uh, feel free to drop us a direct message if you have any topic ideas or if there's anybody you can think of that uh, we, we should invite on the show. But Again, this is week 11, Tom said. And again, this is top notch, Tom. So we keep hitting it out of the park. So coach, thanks again for being here. Yeah, thank you, Tom and Brian. I really appreciate it. I, I will reach out back to you because I'm going to look for those master level coaches that you guys can provide that have done it for, you know, your organization can provide me that. Uh, and I know a lot of coaches, but uh, I, I don't want it to be a bias. I want it to be like other pe uh, people like your organization that would recommend that that I talk, I'm looking for people that have done it over a long period of time. There could be one of two categories, a legendary, like multiple state championships or master level, like just a standard of excellence. It goes to what Tom was saying, like, can you be a master level, but yeah, not maybe have all those, that, those rings, you know? Um, and you, you know, so, so that's kind of what we're looking for. So I, I pre, I look forward to this, um, relationship and also uh to your listeners uh please reach out to me either email or via twitter i'd love to build a relationship with uh with your audience yeah that sounds great um 
Because honestly, I, like, I could, we, like, I say this, I've said this every e- episode now. Like, we try to keep it at an hour, but man, we, like, I could, we, we could talk for hours about all this stuff because there's so much stuff I, I, we didn't even touch on that I would like to. So, we might have to have a part two sometime soon. Um, I'd love but, to uh, come back. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. All right. So, for, for Coach, Masucci and, and Coach Barnes. My name is Tom Murphy Jr. This has been episode 11. Can you believe it? 11 already. And we just, like you said, Brian, we just keep hitting home runs. So hopefully the audience keeps growing. Uh, we just keep it moving. Um, but man, I was excited. I was all smiles today, man. So Coach, thank you so much, man. Uh, a lot of good content there. And hopefully uh, the listeners will just um, enjoy this conversation as much as uh, me and Coach Barnes did. So, um, whew. <laughs> All right. so, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of Inside the Coach's Office.